The following show will contain spoilers, but trust us, you'll want to hear about it anyway. What is this? Pride move these people back. Welcome to Subversive Cinema. Oh my god! I never forget a face. Especially if I'm sad on it. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, Art Hall, here to be your wrangler of the weird, purveyor of the peculiar, and diplomat to the disturbing. And today is definitely a weird one. It is 1992's The Vagrant, starring the inimitable Bill Paxton, directed by Chris Wallace. And uh, to talk about it, I've got my old-time frenemy... Pete here. Pete, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Art. Thank you for having me on. Have you ever heard of this movie? Um, no. And having seen it, I know why. <laughs> are you glad that I made you watch it? I am wondering what thing I did to piss you off 15 years ago that was not like a major thing that wasn't worth bringing up at the time, but you're like, I'm going to get him somehow. And it's just making me watch this movie. You know, it's hilarious because I've gotten that from a couple other guests. I think Devin said that about a Serbian film. Um, oh, but it's a rough is, one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this is nowhere near as rough. This is just, yeah. this is weird. It was like I took the last beer or something, but you hadn't said you wanted it. Like it was something minor. You know what I mean? I think you actually yeah. nailed it right on the head. Uh, and that it could be also you just spreading stories about me vomiting in front of children. So I don't know. It could go it's, either way. It's not a story if there was 15 witnesses, <laughs> not including the children. Well, there's no witnesses here right now. So okay. let's talk about the, the point of this show. It's subversive cinema. We are the show that talk about the weird, wacky, and the downright wrong, as I've already said. And we try to break down these movies and find out what gives it its special tang pizzazz, that, that subversive sauce. And those three prime ingredients, according to my cookbook, are stories, character, and what the fuck. So, let's get right down to it, shall we? This is a story about a geeky businessman, a house, a hobo, and a whole lot of psychosis. It is a, it's a strange, strange movie where we have Bill Paxton, classic character actor, Southern charmer himself, playing Graham Krakowski, he works as an anal a junior analyst, I should say, at some firm, buys a house of his dreams with potential from one of the most sexed-up real estate agents I've ever seen, but now we know where she gets her commissions. It was almost like those videos on Pornhub took a cue from her character. I literally was taking notes while watching it, and I, one of the things I wrote was, Pornhub music for the realtor. Like, I was expecting that to start. Uh, <laughs> For that, that's pretty funny, yeah. Look at that, we think the same. So he buys uh, this from uh, realtor Judy Danzig, and only to find out that there's this creepy vagrant living in the empty lot across the street, played so, so oozily by Marshall Bell, who you might remember from Total Recall and other hits from the... <laughs> Starship and, and Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers. So both he and Michael Ironside, yep. you know, were in those movies. That's right. And I, I was like, did they just want to work together? 
<laughs> like, why did they agree to do this movie? I think I think that all these guys, Bill Paxton, Michael Michael Ironside, and Marshall Bell, they all float in the sphere in this particular 10-year gap of between 85 to 95, 96, where they each just played these weird characters in these very strange stories that were heightened and sort of above and beyond what is just normal life. Now, honestly, though, this is Bill Paxton for the most part in the beginning. One of his most restrained performances where he's actually not the sleazy, loudmouth guy, but he's actually kind of this milk toast nervous dude now he gets to that sleazy crazy shit later on but it was very interesting to see him not you know channeling his um you know his, his uh, i forgot the character's name from aliens or as we've talked about in this show earlier in the dark backward where he was this dirty horny accordion playing garbage man it's it's fascinating but suffice to say Graham has this vagrant across the street who suddenly he becomes obsessed with. He starts thinking this guy is fucking with him and he's ruining his house. And he descends into this spiral of psychosis as murders start popping up. The police think it's him. He loses his girlfriend. He goes on the run. It's a fucking batshit movie. It's just batshit. And the thing is, I watched this stone sober. It's the only way to watch it. It yeah. made me feel high. Yeah. Like, I honestly didn't know what was real and what wasn't as I was watching it. I don't know if you had the same experience, but I did not know what the fuck was happening from one moment to the next. Yeah, it, it just kind of like, hey, it, it was almost like it was not finished being written. And then like, I know we have we'll have this scene and then we'll have this scene and they're completely different. And there was real no transition. But like, wouldn't it be funny if he lives in a trailer park? Ha ha ha. And there's an old old man who's blind. We'll call him X-ray. Great. But like, it just made no sense that that's kind of where it pivoted uh, in the movie. Like, yeah, I guess he lost his job, but he was acquitted. So like, you figure he'd be fine, you know. So we're, we're, we are jumping a bit, but would you believe that the writer of this movie, Richard Jeffries, actually had been working on this script for 10 years? Well, yes, he. they said he shelved it because he did, what was it, Scarecrow or Scarecrows or something? He did Scarecrows and, so, uh, and 14 going on 30 and Blood Tide. <laughs> and he also was uncredited for Tron Legacy. So I really am like, want to go back and watch Tron Legacy to be like, <laughs> which parts did he add, you know, to that movie? Probably all the parts they cut. Um, yes. <laughs> but apparently he's back with something called Warbirds. So um, we'll, we'll be looking for that one one day. I mean, I, I think it was just interesting that, you know, when I saw Brooks films as a production, I go, well, that's Mel Brooks. Like I was just I, about to say, how I know weird. who that is. And so I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, and I, I didn't realize that um, they had done the fly and the fly too. Yeah. And so like, it makes sense that like they're doing some of this weird, crazy shit. And they're like, um, yeah, I guess if I was Bill Paxton and, and I had a chance to work for Mel Brooks, you know, something he was producing, he was, I think credited as executive producer. Yep. Uh, Mel Brooks was, like, yeah, I'd be doing it too. Be like, oh yeah, this isn't this is a weird script, but I'm sure they'll make it great during the shooting. And like <laughs> the fly two was crazy, and like, you know, that was still pretty good. Same director, so um Well, you know what was what got me about it when I saw that Brooks was on this? Some of it suddenly made sense in that this is a horror comedy. It's not a comedy horror. So it's it's downright it's a comedy with a bunch of horror elements to it, and some of the over the top oddballness had that sort of that that taste of Mel Brooks wackiness, but 
again, he was removed. He's an executive producer, so I don't think he really put too much into this. But it just felt... I don't know. It's, it's so hard to pin down. There's a lot of people that came to this that would have made it work. But it is so weird still. I mean, I mean... <laughs> Like I said, we got some top talent that's acting in this. The, I mean, I love the music, how weird it is. The composer, he's, you know, a horror legend and, and cinema legend for that. I mean, the guy has scored so many things. Uh, but I guess they came back and worked together for The Fly 2. Or actually, they worked for The Fly 2 before this. Yeah. But I mean, this guy's like done Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2, The Dark Half, Virtuosity. I mean, so many things. That's why I think the music was interesting in that it, I guess, helped sort of define what the movie was, despite how indefinable it is. Or they all can't be winners. Or they all can't be winners. So, all right, well, let's let's get into this. So what characters intrigued you or caught your attention and why? Um, I'll say the very first one would have to be the Mazda Miata. <laughs> I'll take that. The car as a character, yes. <laughs> because he moves into the house and he is towing with the Mazda Miata. I was wondering how that happens. Was the best joke of the movie that this like that car is not meant for that. And I thought it was crazy. And then at the end of the movie, if I'll skip ahead and just talk a little bit sure. about the vagrant's notebooks where like he finds in his like pack of stuff and i paused the movie and one of the things he wrote about phil paxton uh character graham krakowski is that um his stupid little car that he thinks is an example of his manhood was one of the things that the prop master had written in that like diary which was so funny to me um they're like they're basically like he was making fun of uh krakowski's car and so was i while watching the movie so uh, that is a really great observation. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, and the other character that you know I kind of want to talk about is the the housing market. <laughs> like how <laughs> abstract you're going with this. This is great. This is really well, wonderful. I thought about a, the housing market too, and I was shocked at the prices. Seventy four thousand five hundred dollars for eighteen hundred and fifty square feet. That's only forty dollars and twenty seven cents per square foot. That's bullshit. <laughs> As someone who cannot buy a house in this market, I remain violently angry uh, <laughs> to see how underpriced the house was. And like, it was also weird because across the street, like a weird vacant lot. But then like some of the establishing shots, it's like a neighborhood that's clearly been there for a good while. Like it was a rundown house, but it's was supposed to be a development. I just thought it was a little crazy um, how that all went to go about as far as like cost and all that stuff yeah um but uh character wise i yeah i mean talking about um danzig the realtor like that was just like the first real touch of weirdness i think in the movie when she was like i'm attracted to you and then like let's fuck on the toilet you mean um, uh, perhaps this spectacular sales pitch she uh she does right here like i want to grab you by the oh, <laughs> wait a minute Look, I'm not this open with every guy that comes along, you know. I let my urges build. Do you know what that means? I'm ready for some good, healthy sex with you right now, if possible, right here on this toilet. I understand. Oh, but I have a girlfriend. Well, at least he kept his dignity and he had a girlfriend. Somehow they struck the flush mechanism while they were on the toilet making out. Yeah, well, the very next part of that 
uh, quote is she, the realtor goes, but she's in Buffalo. And I was like, they didn't show him <laughs> telling her that his girlfriend lives in Buffalo. Hey, you know so what? I was maybe, like, you know? maybe that was information they talked about in the car ride over. Who been, knows? Could have been. <laughs> you know, I w- it's a weird like getting into a car with a realtor because it's like nowadays the house is staged. They open up all the doors to the bedrooms and the closets and turn on all the lights. And she just brings him into this absolute shithole, just being like, this is going to be great. <laughs> There's no staging at all with this house. Not at all. They, no, no 3D rendering of the, uh, you know, of furniture in the place. Um, so that, that, that lady was pretty crazy. And I thought it was funny that the, you know, the Dr. Vagrant's book, The Animal Within a Philosophy, was what he had just looked at on the toilet. And yeah. then it cuts to the realtor being like, I let it build. And then it comes out and let's, let's do it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a little bit on the nose. Uh, <laughs> little did I know that it was going to be on the nose, smashed in with a sledgehammer later on as the movie progressed. I, uh, I too, was a fan of the real estate agent just because of her her brazen tactics. And again, the, the very, very much Pornhub reminiscent wherewithal that she approached the entire sale. My other favorite that came up shortly thereafter were these two cops that are yes. called out who one thing i love about law enforcement in this movie is law enforcement seemingly doesn't give a shit about the the bad guys and they really don't care about victims it's like almost what are they doing here until he brings up the oh so unforgivable crime of urination public urination which makes me wonder if uh jeffries was ever cited for public urination by like a cop that just like wouldn't let it go he was out you know uh, in LA, you know, closing the bars and like on his way home, like pissed somewhere in an alley and got a ticket. And it was just like the cops were, you know, uh, right there to nab him, but he'd probably been mugged three other times and nary a cop <laughs> to be seen. But once he, you know, pisses one time outside, he gets in trouble. That's my theory. I, um, I'd buy it. I mean, the, like the intention of this scene is so palpable here. There must be trespassing laws. I mean, the guy's living over there. He, he, he cooks on an open fire in an undesignated area, and he's, he's using the bushes to urinate in, and... You've seen him urinating? Well... Be honest. Well, no, I haven't actually seen him, but my God, if you smell those bushes... Circumstantial, you've got no case. I just we're like, how does this even? I don't know. Whatever. I love when the people suddenly do the the judge dread thing, and they are judge, jury, and executioner all in one fell swoop. Yeah, it was like, oh, if we get a corroborating witness, and so like then they go to the old lady's house to like see if she's ever seen the guy pissing outside. It was just yeah. It was the cops in this movie were very much on a spectrum. Um, <laughs> From like those guys who are like all up in arms about public urination. And then, you know, Paxton's character is all surprised that the guy's not like in federal penitentiary for public urination that he's out the next day or so. Like, what do you expect to happen? You know, you're not you're not put away for a long time for that. But to then the the other cops like Michael Ironside and whatever the other guy was. Oh, the main detectives. Yep. um, Coop worst uh gun safety techniques when they're like at the, at the you know kind of the climax when they're just have their fingers on the trigger the whole time oh yeah um the one the other cop, cop had his one finger on the side but then his other finger was on the trigger like i like you knew he kind of shouldn't be ready to pull it it was just such a weird thing where then michael ironside's like i'm just gonna shoot you in the back bill paxton 
because I, I think you got away with murder, so I'm going to execute you. Um, it was almost as if he caught Bill Paxton urinating in public. Almost. <laughs> Speaking of catching, one of my favorite sections, I, I'm going to also call it before we move on from characters, um, obviously the vagrant. He was so, with his bloated hand that was always zoomed up on with the bandage and the chubby pussy fingers and just the, the boils and the sores. I, <laughs> when I, when there was that vision, Bill Paxton sees him railing his girlfriend in bed. Yeah. That was uh, one of those, first of all, because now we've, we've come to know at the end that the vagrant really was doing all these things to fuck with him. But I'm wondering, so was this a dream sequence or was this one of those things where he actually ended up banging his girlfriend? Because this movie's so weird, I'd put everything on the table. I don't even know that it matters. <laughs> it's like, it, it just, you know, I, it's not going to make the movie better one way or the other. How dare you, Peter? It. How dare you? I don't know. I just, I, my thing with the vagrant is that, well, you mentioned his hand and the, the, the bandages on it. It was like, they were definitely like rubber. Uh, oh, yeah. It was like a, yeah, it was a prosthetic. Yeah. And I was like, I think they just couldn't do knuckles very well. And that's why he had to have a bandage on his hand because it's very hard to do like the prosthetic knuckles to make it look, you know, real. So I think that's why there was a bandage there. Well, I just need to hear the call of the wild for one second. such a sexy scene um maybe i'll put that on the instagram we'll find out i recorded that for uh you know the play music to make love to for future reference <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> okay so we've we've certainly got some memorable characters in some and i there, there's one other i want to touch on though is uh sure. dodie played by the wonderful patrika uh darbo oh um, dodie yes not dodie dodie and i like right. her a lot um that actress i remember her from uh, step by step you know she uh -huh. played one of the, the i think the hairdresser penny i think, I think she was the hairdresser mm -hmm. and then she was i recognized her from roseanne when i forget she was like dan's fantasy dream or something but it was like she was very much like roseanne you know <laughs> uh dressed up i think as a waitress or something like that or she she hit on dan or something but uh she was kind of very similar uh body type to roseanne uh -huh. um, but it was it was good to see her. I think that was a weird, nice little weird character, you know, in the trailer park. Yeah, uh, I mean, there was <laughs> from her very introduction, bringing that that beach scene coconut cake, and every other thing that came out of her mouth was this giggle that was clearly a horny giggle. Yeah, it was just everything. And then when he gets this idea that he'll keep himself and everybody else safe by handcuffing himself to the bed. Yeah. Then she takes a turn, and all I wrote down was, whoa, where's the consent? Oh, yeah, it was a straight-up sexual assault on there, um, where he's like, no, and then he's like, well, okay, kind of, after she started going down on him. Um, but Which was not the first uh, sexual assault joke in the movie. There was an earlier one when the old lady neighbor was murdered, and they were like, made a point to say, like, she was, the, the newscasters were like, I, she was not, I repeat, she was not sexually molested. 
and yes, then they like cut to right. the other to the other anchor and i was just like that was supposed to be a joke and then <laughs> 1992 was a long time ago things were a little because different. i'm sure someone thought that was hilarious uh let's go ahead and hear that that incredibly well-placed and timely joke police sources indicate that those fingers and thumbs have not been located at this time the coroner's report added that the victim had not repeat had not been sexually molested dixie we'll have sports and weather after this ah just like the real news <laughs> yeah it was uh that was really well done yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's see <laughs> just about as hilarious as the incredibly gross pastel colored southwest new mexico style decor that just vomited all over the house oh well that's his you know his girlfriend from buffalo who he's like maxed out financially like barely making ends meet with this house and his miata and uh waiting for a raise or a promotion at work and she's like well you have credit cards right i was like red flag red flag <laughs> don't spend money that you don't have on that stuff and they redid the whole house all right let's get to the story here so big question is did the story make sense i mean narratively it got from point a to b the way it was told i think was a bit disarming for me and again that i never knew what was real and what was not and i made a, a note here halfway through i said what the fuck is happening i mean all of a sudden there's a giant police shootout <laughs> You know, yeah. they just, just everything oh, escalates but, so quickly. So, okay, so he like try to block, keep the vagrant out, and he puts up this huge fence that he can't afford, and he puts up all this lighting, which like is pointed at the house because that's how you want lighting to go. Yeah. Um, these like massive towers. The thing that stuck out for me during that scene when they were doing the installation is that the truck was Southwest Lighting, and it had an actual phone number on it: six zero two four three seven twenty seven hundred. Uh, that company's still around. They oh. are still doing lighting installations and stuff, and they're based out of Mesa, Arizona. And I thought that was really cool that like some small business was like, "Yeah, we'll put our truck in a scene." I'm sure. You well, know? nice. And well, why don't why don't we go ahead and give them a shout out again? What was that number, Pete, for for Mesa, or was it uh, for it's, South? Uh, Southwest Lighting was the name on the truck. Six zero two four three seven twenty seven hundred. So if you have uh, a house in the Arizona, Mesa, Arizona area, <laughs> and you need all of your lighting needs taken care of, go ahead, give them a call, tell them we sent you, and they won't know what the hell you're talking about. Yes, do that for all the listeners out there that live in Mesa. Okay, but what else, uh, What else, I mean, did, so did the story jive with you or what? I mean, it was just, <sighs> one of the reviews said it was like a, a rejected episode of Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, I, I was like, yeah, I get it. Like, it could have been a short and not a feature-length movie. Um, I just thought the story just was like someone made this character the vagrant and thought it would be really cool to like have him fuck with somebody, but I just don't think that it landed. You know, I you said it's a comedy horror, or horror comedy, and just a lot of the jokes just. Not only did they not land, I don't think they even got the shot off. You know, it was just, right. um, it was just kind of weak sauce. It's really hard to believe that the movie did forty three hundred dollars opening weekend <laughs> <laughs> with a with a domestic box office total of 
$5,900. That movie was, that would explain why this was Chris Wallace's uh, last film. So. Yeah, I I don't know what, what it was about, why it was in eight theaters only, uh, why some of the characters, they don't list the movie on there. I couldn't find it on some of the people's like IMDb or Wikipedia. Like, I think they were just trying to uh, disavow any connection to that movie, which is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, the story just, uh, it just didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Like it could have been something weirder if they had jumped into it more and done a little better setup on like some of the motivations of like Krakowski and, um, his girlfriend, like, while she's just like, oh, yeah, I let the vagrant in and give him a sandwich. Like, duh. Yeah, and of, course yeah, it's like, take... of course I'm going to let him in the, to have something. And in... then go take a shower. <laughs> yeah, just, you know. You know. I think something that on the tech end of this really makes me curious as to what was going on. Not only was this a Brooks Films, but it was also a Canal Plus. So there was a heavily European thing going on, which was weird. Cause why? I, I, it was just after the eighties. Like it was early nineties. I think there was still a lot of Coke. I don't like, that's all yeah, I maybe think. they just said, Hey, there's a backwards way. If we cast a French person in this, we can do a deal with canal. I don't know. No idea. No yeah. idea. No idea. But it, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those that I tell you what it is having a, a resurgence because it is now out on Blu-ray. So somebody somewhere said, you know what movie's good enough to to revitalize and make in full HD? The fucking Vagrant. And they went ahead and they put it on Blu-ray. So it's clearly getting some traction somewhere. Maybe it's because Bill Paxton's passed and there's a renewed interest in his, you know, filmography. And just, you know, this is again from a period of time where he was doing some really off-the-wall stuff and character work. But, uh, you know, that, that happens when people, when an actor dies, they go back and watch all the stuff, for better or for worse. No, I think it probably speaks to how uh, the pricing and Blu-ray printing technology has gone down. It's gone down, so now you <laughs> it can... It must be so accessible that you can pull up movies like this and put them on Blu-ray, uh, whereas before it might have been cost prohibitive. So now you can, you can put a $5,900 earning film on a Blu-ray it's got to cost more to, to remaster it, to like, to do that, you know what I mean? Just to pay someone for the artwork to, you know, put it back out. I, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and I'd like to know how many Blu-rays have been sold. That, uh, you know, I don't know if we'll ever, I don't know if we'll ever get that count or that number, but this movie, it does take you all over the place through this one man's sanity to his eventual degrade, to his seeming redemption, which even in end, is questionable as he's reminded of the drip that once started the whole nightmare off for him. But I, I mean, how often can you say that the movie about halfway through a little after halfway becomes a totally different movie. So one thing I loved about this was how I watched the trailer and then I watched the movie and halfway through after the court case, which you had mentioned earlier, where he's acquitted, which was hilariously, apparently, because his mother died during the trial. Yeah. Then it became a totally different movie because now he's on the run after the cops come. There's this big shootout and all this. other. I mean, I mean, he's on the run and then he's in a trailer park and then there's clearly the smash cut forward in time 
where he's now got a mullet. Mullet. I say the mullet. I wrote down mullet. He's he's got a a totally legit relationship with Doty now, and he's living that trailer park life. And my question is on this. Do you think, because it's revealed that the vagrant was not just in his head, it was truly this psychiatric professor guy who's using him as an experiment. Do you think that the vagrant tracked him down? Or did he like hop in the back of that truck and travel with him the entire time and just hid out somewhere? Like, what do you, th- how do you think that happened that that connection was reignited? He probably just Googled him and like followed him on Facebook. To sure, he can him. totally do that in 92. Yeah, absolutely. No. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know. I, I figure like, well, he gave a fake name. He said his name was Kramer. That's right. Um, right. So different name. Was it Jerry Kramer? Jerry Kramer. Yeah. I thought he was just going to be like first name Kramer. And I was like, this is after Seinfeld has been out, I believe. So I was concerned for a moment. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I I, I guess he found him. It took a while. I don't know. Maybe the vagrant like hired a private detective. I, I just don't know. You think the vagrant uh, I, actually has some money and he's just fucking with them and he's one of those affluent guys who just lives on the street? Um, he, you know, he had a book that was, they printed at least three copies. Dude, apparently. <laughs> you know, he's the guy I want to see the movie about is how did he become this guy? Like, and why is he fucking with, you know, this guy in particular why is he messing with him because i thought for a second when i was seeing those images uh when they saying renowned psychiatric professor all this other shit this i thought maybe that was like you know graham was a student of his and somehow caused him to get fired but that i I don't think that was the case it was just apparently just i don't know had a bug up his ass about this guy because he didn't like looking at him i don't know yeah that's probably it just, 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 cool we'll just, go with that like, i mean he tried to get the guy arrested you know maybe the vagrant wouldn't have picked him although like he had photos of him moving in right away so like he was obviously looking he was following at him, him from the from, beginning right from when he came with the the sex pot realtor um so yeah i guess it my guess is it would have been anyone who had moved in he would have tried to you know do the animal within uh philosophy against them I wish it had just been a family. So like, you know, there'd been a whole bunch of kids and, you know, like more people to terrorize than just the one guy. (laughs) Well, now that's the thing about the movie where I genuinely would have been curious as to, I know it's a hard concept because especially the vagrant was so himself was so stylized and cartoony. But if this was a straight horror where they said, we're actually going to make this a fucked up, disturbing movie, Versus straddling that line of how do we do a, a horror that's funny because all these terrible things are happening to this guy. And it's almost like it's some sort of statement on like wealth division or classes or whatever. It's like the guy who's got the house and the car and the suit and the job and the bum. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's just I wonder if it would have been more successful if they leaned in entirely one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, it could be. It, it was interesting. You know, you talk about like the wealth thing. Um there was a wonderful com- computer animation of uh, oh, his Graham's, budget, his budget. Yeah. And so he was, his salary was 25, 2,500. Right? Yeah. And it was basically, it ended up being 24,000. Um, I think I did $655 a year. That doesn't sound right. I must've done the math wrong. Um, but like well, 24,000 and change sounds about right. Cause it was 2050 something, I think, or whatever. Yeah, 2000, oh yeah, it was 2054 
$2,054.66 a month. Yeah. So um, it was just like, it was that a lot. I wasn't sure. Why did he also have a bank loan beyond the mortgage? The mortgage. Oh, that was for the, remember the bank loan was to pay for the fencing and shit because he took out a second mortgage. Oh yeah. But see, it's a mortgage. So I didn't know if, if that was what it was. Um, but you know, who let someone have a $67,000 mortgage on a $67,487 mortgage on a $74,500 house? Like, <laughs> how did he get away with paying so little for a down payment? Well, I guess the closing costs. I'm just still angry about. Well, maybe the, the costs again were so much cheaper. And back then, the, the rates were higher. The rates were like, you know, 8, 12% or something crazy. But, you know, so maybe he could get away with only paying 5% down or something. I don't know. Maybe. I don't, I just, it made me angry. <laughs> I just don't understand home buying as it is right now. So let alone how it was, you know, fucking almost 30 years ago. Yeah. So anyway. We'll never fair know. enough. So <laughs> we agree that the story makes perfect sense. Yes. Completely perfect sense. <laughs> perfect There's sense. A, like, just, okay, we'll talk about this aspect of the story. The, the climax where Michael Ironside takes a chair through the back yes. that comes out of his chest. Why were the legs of the chair sharpened in that in in the place where they were chasing, which was called Wild Don Stillborn's Western World? Yep. So I that was not the only stillborn thing in the movie. I think the story itself was just never fully developed. Oh, but um bumps. Ooh. <laughs> That's great. Valid, valid point. Actually, you know, I just saw Dodie here, so I just wanna I just wanna hear a little bit of her sex giggles. Hold on one second. Damn. Well, it sure is nice to have you. <laughs> nice young man like you. I brought you a housewarming. I call it Caribbean Delight. Ooh, would you look at that? It's coconut. Mmm. <laughs> it's all for you. That was also her way of saying. I'm all for you. Yeah, I mean, the next, the only other thing she could have said is it's a cream pie. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> One mile a minute with these jokes. Uh, hey. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't understand the, the little figurines on the cake. Like, I was trying to. Well, I don't I think they're edible. I think she's just trying to paint a picture. Yeah. That's all. I just, I didn't or know. She's trying to choke I, him with G.I. Joe, man. I don't know. I, I think I'm spoiled by like a lot of movies nowadays. I was looking at the cake to see if it was going to be a representation of the characters in the movie, a la like the tapestry in uh, Midsommar, um, where at the beginning <laughs> of the film, it tells you like what's going to happen in the movie. Uh, but no, these were just plastic characters on a cake and it meant nothing. Yes. No, it, yeah. <laughs> shame on you for trying to read into this. <laughs> I was grasping for straws for just anything to be like, maybe there's a deeper level here and I just have to look hard. That's right. That's no, right. There was not. Okay. Well, so story we're we're kind of there. Let's now get to the real fun thing. And we've clearly already touched on some of this as naturally we do with these discussions, the WTF factor. Um, what sort of things that we might not have mentioned made you sit up for a second and say, what the fuck was that? The fingers in the candy box from the old lady. Fingers in the candy box was good, yeah. Because it's the actual like practicality of like having to prepare it. Like you have to eat or throw away the chocolates, but they had saved the wrappers, the cho 
the little paper wrappers that would have had chocolates in them and then place the fingers on top. And I just like was su so surprised that they hadn't moved around when you like you move a box and stuff slides around. It's not jam packed tight with chocolates. There's just some loose fingers. So I was like, what the fuck are these fingers glued down? Um, I was wondering the, the, the practical measures of that. Okay. Let me go. What the fuck? Sure. I, I can, I can go with that. Did I talk about the housing prices? That made me go. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the shooting style of this oh. movie was Wait. constantly keeping me guessing. Now you said shooting style and I know you mean the movie and how the movie was shot. But you think I'm talking about, about the, the cops? And... We have to talk about the police shot at, uh, shootout where they have simultaneous um, hole saws on drills oh, yes. to cut holes through the six foot high fence and put their rifles with scopes through it. But then the scope would just be looking at the fence. I know. Four <laughs> inches in front and you can't see what you're shooting. And this takes place in Phoenix. Um, and it is what, like, I didn't know if there was a commentary on like the LA police. Like at first, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, it kept, you know, I, I know it was shot in Phoenix, but I just was like, what's going on with this ineptitude um, with by the police officers? Uh -huh. Well, I, um, I, I just loved, uh, read, I think it was like 1500 squibs or something were placed in the house and they were all pooled at, you know, within a matter of a minute or so or less. And yeah. it's, it looks wonderful. But yes, let, let's see some of this uh, police work in action when you hear how these guys discuss their, how they're going to take this down. He appears to be armed. Slow and easy, Laxon. Possibly say, Krasky. Ah, police at its finest. Yeah, <laughs> um, the the visuals on that was so funny because it was like the police all came in with like the riot gear shields. Yeah, and they like had body bunker down. written on them. Body bunker, yeah, and then like, but then the detective is like, no, no, it's fine. Like we just tried to murder this man in cold blood by unloading, you know, our. <laughs> four month supply budget of bullets into the house. Uh, but no, no, just, it's fine. He won't hurt us. I'm like what? Yeah. I, I always love, uh, again, film police logic is some of the best. It's, it, it's clearly indicative that, you know, the writer just didn't know anything from anything and just did whatever was going to serve the moment the best. So good for them. Um, but yeah, like uh, what I was saying, shooting style before we talked about unloading all those bullets, was how there was a definitive sense that it was very much like a Terry Gilliam movie whenever we were in his place of work in that they put a very short, wide-angle lens that everything had this distortion that brought the character, whoever was speaking, so fucking close and uncomfortable in this giant 
not even a cubicle farm, but just this this office space full of desks. It was just such a a weird surrealistic way to shoot it. And it was, I mean, I guess like they were trying to go for some sort of, I don't know, deeper meaning or visual code between the places of how they filmed. But they started using that that sort of surreal technique Inters, inters, you know, interspersed throughout the movie, and I don't know. It was just, it was just one of those things that kept me constantly a little bit off kilter whenever I'd see it. Well, I just think that it's just them trying to help you feel and know just how awful it is to work in an office environment. Oh, I know how uh, awful, awful so, it is to work in an office. Environment. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, it really pulls it out and shows you like uh, just how terrible it was, and the boss. Who um you know was like hey would you, what what would you think if I fired you right now haha just kidding like what an asshole you know uh oh you I'm only gonna give you a promotion because you're part check say something in check to this guy who I'm trying to land for a deal um and then he tells him like wash your hands after go to the bathroom like that's like that was the check hands. he knew yeah <laughs> and just make I and just he, I don't know I want to I want to touch back on the boss again something else that was really weird to me was when he came to visit him in prison, his goatee had gotten super long. Yeah. And that was, I I mean, there's so many things in the middle of this movie. Literally, the entire second act is a fever dream of weird shit happening. And the boss is like, oh, we're not going to, you know, stick with you anymore. But he, like, puts on sunglasses. Like, he doesn't want to be seen talking to Bill Paxton's character and it's just like, but you signed in and went through security. Everybody knows who you are and who you're here to see. So why are you putting the sunglasses up like you don't want someone to see you? It made no sense. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, the it's a trailer moment. But um, when his mother croaks on the stand defending him, that was a... Uh, oh, and then probably my favorite sight gag in the whole thing was when the news coverage of that verdict came and then the mother's corpse slides out oh. <laughs> off the green and down the steps well i thought that was nice that there was like a you know a reference to like battleship potemkin with the baby <laughs> carriage i assumed that they of were course that's exactly that. what that is right <laughs> <laughs> yeah and also like uh you know, police squad or you know uh absolutely yeah oh that's just wonderful i'm <laughs> Oh, man. Anything else that stuck out for you? Or is it just, you know, is it just one of those things that if we sat here, we tried to nail it down, it would just be too much? Um, Yeah, I, I was trying to think of, like, what kind of drinking game you could make out of this movie. Um, And I don't know if it's every time there's a fork, you know, stuck in a wall. Could or... be any time there's a fork. Could be any time that there's a mess in the house. Uh, or any time something spills or breaks. There was a lot of food that was dropped. There was a lot of food. I mean, the the whole scene where he first spies on the vagrant while he's making his pasta dinner. Yeah, um, yeah. If you want, if uh, for anybody out there, that clip is actually on the Instagram. So if you want to see that, you'll find it there. A lot of pasta hitting the ground. He dropped the pasta uh, in the house. When yeah, he when was he... walking by the fence. He dropped his groceries and all the elbow macaroni hit the ground. Oh, that was uh, delightful. And all his little cans of tuna. Yeah. <laughs> and his baguette. It was like the worst paper bag of for groceries ever. But I'm like, why is he walking to the grocery store where he is? Like, it didn't look like there was going to be a lot of walkable supermarkets. And he has the Miata. He does. He has the Miata. And what happened to the Miata, by the way? 
he sold it and he bought the station wagon which also like flipped down a canyon and then the next scene he was driving it i think that um, was a dream i think that was all a dream is the dream that the guy was in the back seat and then he woke up parked outside of bill's peckerwood or whatever the hell that thing's called um wild don stillborn's western world that's it yeah yeah (laughs) oh so i didn't catch that that was a fever dream on that one i thought I thought so too, but then I looked, I was like, yeah, the car would have been totally fucked. I think it was just him having a dream after he pulled off, yeah. Oh, so I was just like yelling at my TV, like, continuity! <laughs> As like pieces of the car had fallen off, like, what the shit? Because yeah. then if then the guy, though, was in the back seat, or was there, because his crap was in the back of the car anyway, so. that's um, Again, this is why there's so many things that are just like, wait, who was there, who was where? I don't know. Yeah, that was nuts. I didn't. I don't yeah. know if we'll ever really know. Well, we'll just have to ask someone who was involved. We'll get right on that. We'll see if we can track down Mr. Richard Jeffries or one of these I other... was thinking, I think we should send a letter to Michael Ironside. I bet he'd respond. That's true. He probably would. I don't know if he's, uh, if he's, he probably goes to Comic-Cons just for this one, so. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. Well, let's get to the big, big question. On an arbitrary scale of one to ten, how subversive do you think this movie was? One being the least or 10 being the One being the, being most? the least, uh, you know, a talking cat came in at around three, but Serbian film is 10. But it doesn't necessarily mean on how fucked up it is. It's just how it how it made you feel and what it did for you. Two and a half. Two and a half. I didn't think it was like, I didn't think it was that nuts. Fair enough. I guess yeah. I could, I could... Well, I like even numbers, so I'd probably round it up to three. I'll give it a two. You'll give it a two? Okay. I'm rounding down. You'll round down. I'll round up. And the audience out there can can round for themselves by getting the movie on DVD or checking it out on Amazon Prime, if you'd like, for $3.99. And it's Blu-ray, too. You got to say not just DVD, Blu-ray. Oh, I didn't. Sorry, I didn't even realize what I said. You can get it on Blu-ray. You can get it on Amazon.com to stream it. And uh, you know what? Check it out. Determine for yourself. You heard about it here, but go experience it there. Pete, I want to thank you for taking the time to come out and uh, watch this movie <laughs> and uh, and for falling into my trap of revenge. Do you uh, have anything you'd like to share or would you just like to remain in complete anonymity? I will just do that. That sounds good. Perfect. Thank you so and- much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I'm looking forward to see, like, you know, what other films you could throw my way besides a Serbian film that are out subversive. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about the special sauce. Great. And uh, make sure you check the show notes for Pete's phone number and home address. And we will see you next time. Oh, nothing to say, Pete. Oh, I thought you were saying we see you next time. And then you'd like end the show. Oh, I, I would, I but said, I, I figured I I'd give you a chance to, to say something. So. Uh, I didn't know I was supposed to keep talking. Oh, you don't I've have to. Already, I've already mentally checked out from this and have wiped it from my memory. Perfect. So, thanks for having me. Goodbye. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you leave us a review and a five-star rating at your preferred podcast provider. Tell a friend so they can check it out, too. And follow us on Instagram at subversive underscore cinema for more content. Subversive cinema.